Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Well, everyone, welcome to season two, episode four of the Sheep Things podcast. Again, today we have Lynn Farmeyer as our guest to talk about the National Sheep Improvement Program and the estimated breeding values produced uh, by that program. This has been a podcast that we've received a lot of questions uh, that have led to this podcast and a lot of people that have asked to get further explanation on what the EBVs are, how you can use them, what the individual traits look like, and and how you can use them in your operation to fine tune the selection of your sheep. Um, So we dive into that with Lynn, uh, who provides some great explanation of this as somebody who's been utilizing the technology for years and somebody who actively uses it today to move selection forward and to select on traits in his flock. He's got a lot of experience uh, selling breeding stock with these EBVs and he'll provide some great insight for you today. So stay tuned and enjoy this episode of the Sheep Things Podcast. We get a lot of, you know, a lot of our uh, our guests have been NSIP members, yeah. um, you know, because that's our connection and, and people we talk to regular. And, uh, and every time we get to talking about it, we have other guests and, and other people that listen at, reach out to us and want to know more. And they want to know uh, where can they find out more, where can they learn more. And I'm like, just be patient. We got a guy coming, you know. <laughs> so here is our guy, you know. Uh, we got the guy that's going to explain everything to us, uh, the basics of, of, of EBVs and uh, uh, show us how we can improve our flocks like he has, you know, uh, slow and steady. It's not a uh, it's not a pyramid scheme or, you know, oh, I, I didn't gain any weight because I bought an NSIP ram maybe maybe you didn't get the right trade or maybe you know so lynn is the guy he's going to explain and and hopefully we can uh take all take something from it okay i think the you know i i think we kind of segued into this with you know i mentioned environment and um then that's a great question robert is because i think the first thing we need to figure out or explain what is an estimated breeding value and so number one, it's it's an estimate of the genetic potential. I have to be careful. It's an estimate of the genetic um, makeup of an animal that he may he or she may pass on to their offspring. Uh, it's a breeding value. So just because I look at an individual animal and it has a plus five post winning weight or whatever. We have to be a little careful about it's not really that animal is going to be five pounds heavier. It's he's going to pass half of that potential onto his offspring. And and we're only looking at the genetic portion uh, of the weight. And I think weight is easy to, to use as an example because we all know that a set of lambs 
can be raised on really bad grass, bad hay or whatever. They're not, you know, if they're eating a lot of cerise laspidiza, they're not going to grow very fast. But if you put them in a small pen and you feed them a lot of high-powered, high-fat feed, um, maybe a little handful of really dairy-quality alfalfa hay every day, you can really push them fast. And so that, that difference in growth has nothing to do with genetics. It's totally environment. Um, even within a litter of lambs, one of them might have got a cold, you know, a little flu bug or something that the other one did not. And so one of them's going to grow faster than the other, even if they're identical twins. And so the, the challenge is, is to separate out the environment from the genetics. And for the growth traits, that might, the environment may be, I mean, if you go, if you come to the expo and walk up and down the aisles, you're going to see a variety of different feeding management styles. Um, there's a variety of genetics in there, but maybe 70% of the difference that you see between the lambs is probably environment. And so to compare between flocks, sometimes even comparing between animals within a flock, especially if you have like a January set of lambs and a March set of lambs, you can't compare them by just looking at the raw weights. You have to try to remove those environmental effects. And so once, and so the, the technical term of the statistics that's used is best linear unbiased prediction. I can't do it, but it's been used in the livestock industry since the 40s. It was actually developed before that, and it's used in other industries as well. Uh, the, the statistics behind the, behind the calculations are very solid. Um, and so we're trying to remove as much of the environment uh, as we can and measure just the genetic potential. And then by looking, and then the other thing the computer does is it doesn't look at just that one animal. It's looking at all of the relatives. Um, Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, full sibs, half sibs, progeny, you know, once um, they, they started having lambs or siring lambs, uh, it's looking at their progeny. And the more data that's in the system, the higher the accuracy. Doesn't mean the EBV is going to be higher. It just means the accuracy is going to be higher. And I mean, I've had... Um, well, I've had a couple of rams that's been used on four or five different flocks, uh, two or 300 different progeny uh, total, and you're getting accuracies up above 95%. Um, you know, if uh, I buy a, a ram at a sale that's from a non-NSIP flock, it's coming in at zero with zero accuracy. And so I've got to spend some time, I'm gonna have to breed it to a lot of use collect a lot of data over several years before that animal from outside the system is going to start to be proven. And I, Robert mentioned that too. It, it's not fast. Uh, when someone gets started with NSIP, I always tell them the first year you submit data, you probably ought to throw the results away and not look at them. 
because I, and I, I see this, it happens, <laughs> it happens every yep. single time. Um, because we always have that one you that's our favorite. She had triplets and raised triplets every year for five, six years. And in the first year we're in NSIP, she has a single. <laughs> and, she's and, so, a 98, and she's a 98 index. Yeah. And she has a not, yeah. You know, I mean, she has a negative number born alive and you'll say, well, I know, you know, Susie Q is my best you and the computer's saying it's my worst you. The computer only knows what it's seen and it's only seen one year worth of data. And so it mm -hmm. just takes some time to build up that database. And once your accuracies go up, um, then the true, you know, as accuracies approach a hundred and it can, it will never be a hundred, but we can get up in the high nineties. Um, the, the, the range, I mean, okay. If the true breeding value of an animal is a two, um, with an accuracy of 30%, it's possible that the report's going to say it's going to be anywhere from zero to four. But as the accuracies approach zero or uh, as the accuracies approach a hundred, um, that EBV is going to be the true EBV and it's going to end up at two. Uh, we'll end up at the true EBV if we have enough data. Um, but there's always a range of possibilities that that EBV is going to fall into. And so we have to accept that EBVs are going to fluctuate a little bit. Um, but it's just the more data we put into the system, the more accurate it is. Okay. So on that note, uh, since you have a number, uh, you, you have the real number, uh, let everybody know, because I don't think people realize how many lambs are in the database. And a, do you have a, a number? No, I don't. <laughs> well, there goes that. I, I mean, I should, Robert, but, you know, at the same time, I try not to, as chairman, I try to be the chairman for all breeds and not just Katahdin's. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that in 2019, we had 6,500 lambs entered. So... Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of lambs. There's a lot of lambs. Yeah. That's right. And, and you're talking 25 years of data. Yeah, of course. Again, 22, 23. In 2010, we had 3,200 lambs okay. reported. So yeah, we've doubled in the last 10 years within the breed. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot of lambs. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's just um, so anyway, that's that, an EBV is just simply a breeding value. Um, and and so one of the questions that I get asked a lot, one of the criticisms is that, well, my lambs are um, grass fed and someone else's lambs are um, dry lot. Dry lotted. I'm trying to find here. Um, I'll share my screen again if I can figure this all out. There we go. Um, so, how can you compare? And, you know, that's a legitimate question. 
Um, and so I, y'all can put this on your web page, you know, with the show, you know, the notes from the show here. But um, this is an example that I came up with where we have uh, two farms. Uh, one is definitely pushing the, the lambs a lot harder than they're being pushed in another farm. And the point of this example is that we're not comparing raw weights between the two farms. So if I'm feeding a lot of corn to my lambs and Robert and Caleb are not, um, we're, we're comparing how much is an individual animal above or below a mean. So we're talking about percentages, number one. And then number two, um, we need some sort of genetic connection between the flocks. And so in my example, the easiest example is to use the same ram on two different flocks. And um, so not only are the breeding, the lambing periods different because we, you know, one might be a January, one may be a March, or maybe we got a March and a May or, or whatever, um, but the ram was used in, in the same flock. And so if you go through my example, it's, you know, that ram B is kind of the anchor ram between the two flocks genetically. And it can be done with sons and daughters and half sibs. I mean, it gets more complicated, but for the sake of this example, um, you know, we got to figure out, so which ram is better than the other? As it turned out, actually the best ram is the best ram on the slow growing flock and not the fast growing flock. And um, so if, you know, I'm not gonna try to explain all the, the math here on just verbally, but if anyone wants to get online, I hope y'all can post this on your website. And yeah, so- you, you give me this the first time I came to your farm. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I looked, it's on my desk somewhere. I keep it <laughs> on my desk because it's a reference that I, I go to when I get something in my mind and I'm like, how in the world is that even possible? And I, and I have this on my desk. I just can't find it right now. But it's, yeah, but the, the key is we're yeah. not comparing the weights. We're not comparing a 60 pound lamb to a 100 pound lamb at 60 days of age or, or whatever extreme example you want to give. Um, what we're doing, we're comparing, so, okay, this ram or this lamb was 113% above its contemporary group. And we have another animal that's 115% above its contemporary group. And we know we have uh, an, a common ancestor used in both, both flocks. And so then the, the computer can do its math and, and actually come up with uh, a comparison um it's and, and just and i probably shouldn't say this because i'm dropping down this is getting just a little technical but we have actually dr nodder actually did a study and it's actually posted on the nsip website uh it it was with suffix and a couple of other range breeds it wasn't with katahdin's but um if we wanted to, we could probably come up with a, um, uh, it's not a linear line. It, it's at, there's actually a curve 
he, he figured out there, there might be a curve adjustment factor that could be made based upon the average weaning weight of the contemporary group. So in other words, out of a flock, um, there's a, what I'm trying to say is we could tweak this just a little bit between a high grain flock and a um, forage-based flock that's growing slower. His analysis was that it wasn't going to make any difference. <laughs> so even after he applied his adjustments, it, it changed things by like thousandths of a pound of an EBV. It just doesn't, I mean, his analysis basically proved that we're doing a really good job of separating out um, the environmental effects um, between farms, regardless of whether it's a grain-fed, high-growth flock versus a flock that's being pushed a lot slower. So. That's a whole lot closer than you can just try to guess and oh. go, oh, well, maybe because they're feeding you know, it's going to be five pounds heavier, or maybe because they're not feeding, it's going to be five pounds lighter. I mean, it's, it's leaps and bounds ahead of what you can do just by guessing, <laughs> not even close. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, y'all can edit this out if you want, but I mean, Joan Burke is the perfect example of this with her flock down there at the USDA farm in Boonville. I mean, she has some of the smallest lambs that come to the expo. Over the years, her the prices that she's getting, the people are bidding up her lamps because they know they perform on the farm. You get, you know, so even though her lambs may not look impressive when they come through the cell ring, um, when you get them home, they perform as the numbers say they will probably perform. <laughs> and, you know, people are learning to trust that. And um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's impressive when you see that. Yeah. Yeah. I had one Ram lamb last year from them. I, well, you yeah. saw it, Lynn. He was just the little tiniest <laughs> little thing ever. And his lambs grew really yeah. well. I mean, they, they outperformed other ones that were, you know, you know, that were bigger Rams or whatever, and actually looked like they were more than just a, a little bit of air and some, some hair and a few bones in there. But I mean, the, the data works. It just got to believe, believe the numbers. Genetic, sometimes. Sometimes it's the hard. genetic <laughs> potential of an animal, the, the genes that will be passed on to the next generation are determined at conception. <laughs> it's not determined when they're at the feed trough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. so, That's a great ex explanation. <laughs> so, yeah, um, great. So now let's uh, let's start let's start talking about uh, each individual EBV and kind of uh, let everybody know uh, you know which ones are growth maternal so on and so forth and and um, how to read read those EBVs. There's um, um, Let me pull up something else here. Um, and also maybe when we're describing those, maybe you can uh, 
walk through, you know, how, like what different systems might use those particular EBVs and which systems might just not put any emphasis on those, because that's something that we hear a lot from our listeners is like, well, there's all these numbers out there. I don't know what to select on. I don't know what to look for. Um, maybe you can kind of give some thoughts there and maybe we, we can dig into that more afterwards, but just as we're going sure. through how those traits can help different systems. Okay. So, um, for anyone that can, that can view this online, I've, um, I'm sharing my screen here of a PDF document that's on the NSIP website. It's under resources and it's called the NSIP EBV notebook. And I'm, I'm basically just going to go through this. I'm not going to read it. I'm, I'm just going to put everything in my own words. But um, if you want a good background as to what each trait means, um, I would encourage everyone to go there. But so um, I guess the other thing we need to maybe say first, and we maybe need to say it later as well, not everyone needs to collect every point of data possible. Uh, we've already talked about fecal aid counts. We've talked about uh, back fat. We've talked about eye muscle depth. Those aren't necessarily important to collect if you're not interested in them. Um, the, the, the data that we need just at a bare minimum to get started is uh, we need to know who the sire and the dam is of a lamb. We need, we need to know the date the lamb was born the group, uh, I mean, the, the litter size that it was born into, how many uh, siblings it was raised with. So, you know, was it born a triplet, raised a twin or whatever. Um, and then we need a weight taken when that contemporary group is about 60 days of age. So that that's the, if you have that, um, you'll have, you'll get, 80% of the benefit of, of the EBVs. Um, yeah. So I did not mention birth weight as uh, a required measurement. It's not. Uh, but if you want to take it, we will calculate an EBV for birth weight. Um, so far within, I'm, I'm going to make some, I'm going to jump back and forth between cattle and sheep probably a lot here. But, um, you know, in cattle, they're, for calving ease, uh, they're selecting for small birth weights. There's probably some breeds of sheep that need to worry about that for, um, I think most of your listeners might be Katahdin breeders. Not, I know not all of them are, but um, within the Katahdin breed, I'm not too sure we need to worry about birth weight yet. Um, there may be a few flocks, but for the most part, um, um, Katahdin's don't have too much trouble unless it's a mal, you know, a bad position, you know, misposition lamb. So, um, but if you want to track birth weight, we can do that. Um, that's, you know, one of those cases where you want a lamb that's big enough. Uh, so it's healthy and strong to pop up and start nursing, but you want small enough to not, um, to cause a problem during lambing. The, the next trait is the maternal, uh, well, maternal birth weight. That's um, one that, while it's calculated, I don't know if anyone really tracks it. Uh, the next one is weaning weight. Um, weaning weight, 
is a little bit of a misnomer because it doesn't, that weight's not necessarily taken at weaning. It depends on your management style. Um, it's really a 60 day weight. And so when the, um, and I keep talking about contemporary groups, a contemporary group is a group of lambs that were all treated the same that were born within 34 days of each other. And you can make that window smaller if you want. You really can't go wider than that. Um, so within this contemporary group, this group of lambs that were pretty much all treated the same, when their average age is 60 days, that's when you weigh the whole group. And um, so that's a trait that, especially uh, the light lamb market, um, you want, a you know, you're wanting lambs to get up um, to that light lamb weight at 60, 70 pounds as fast as you can. You want to push the weaning weight. Now, here's the caution, okay? For, there, there's a lot of things, you know, you can, um, I, I think someone had it on one of your previous podcasts, someone mentioned uh, Michelle Canfield's example of you can't take the amplifier to 11. Um, you need, you know, you need to, there's always a problem if you go too far. All of the weight yeah. traits are correlated. Um, so if you select for really fast growing weaning weights, you're actually, most of the time, there, there's going to be a correlation that you're going to make the adult weight higher. Um, and so if you're concerned about and especially a grass forage based operation, we don't want large use, we want smaller use. So again, that's a balance that you, you've got to worry about. Um, another trait is what we call maternal weaning weight. And this one gets a little hard to explain. Um, the way I think of it, it, it used to be called milk. It used to be called maternal milk. And the geneticist said, no, it's not all milk. There's some behavioral um, tendencies that are showing up in this trait. What maternal weaning weight is, is so let's say we have a, a sire with a weaning weight EBV of two and a U with a zero, or let's say four. Let's, let's say the sire is four and the U is zero. So the average would be two, um, an EBV of two. For, and so that's what we would expect the lamb to be before we have any other data. If we have lambs that are growing a lot faster than what a two would indicate, then I think we have to give some credit to the U for producing a lot of milk. But if the if uh, if all if a lot of the lambs are growing less than that, so basically, if lambs are growing less than what the computer thinks their genetic potential is, they're assuming the ewe is not milking as well. If they're growing a lot faster than their genetic potential is expected to be, then the ewe must be milking better. And again, it's not just milk. I think anyone that's been around sheep at lambing time, I mean, I've got some ewes that I don't know how they do it, but the lamb is never more than a foot away from that ewe. I mean, those, it's almost like yeah. a hen 
you know, holding the chips together. And then I've got other ewes that the lambs are who knows where. They're, <laughs> they're all over the barn, you know. Well, that ewe that has that tendency of being able to keep her lambs right next to her, those lambs are nursing all the time. <laughs> they're, they're not nursing a lot, but they're nursing a little bit all the time. And, and they're not, you know, whenever they, you know, they, they anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a behavioral trait. Um, those lambs that are running all over the place, that you may start calling them, and if the lamb doesn't come, you know they miss a meal. And so that's that's why it's a behavioral trait as well as a uh, an actual milk production trait. But if you're if you really want a lot of milk, uh, you want if you want to use that milk really well, you want to select high maternal weaning weight. Um, I'll probably get some people shoot me for this, but from the cattle background, um, milk is a very expensive energy item. <laughs> and so if we're worried about cost of production, I'm not too sure we want to stress milk. But I don't know that there's enough research in sheep to prove that. Um, because I kind of do sheep about halfway between cattle and hogs on this milk issue. Uh, with hogs, we wanted the sows to milk the fat off of their back and then recover. Um, with cattle, cattle have a long, you know, 210-day lactation. Their cattle are being bred while they're lactating. Sheep, we very seldom ever breed sheep while they're lactating. So, um, so there's differences between cattle and sheep on this issue. Uh, and I don't know that we have really as much research as we'd like. I know there are people that want to really push milk. Um, I've got, I guess, personally, I've got some questions. Um, and it's probably goes back to that idea of, of balance, right? And just not maximizing traits, because if you push it too far in a grass system, yeah, your lambs will grow well, but your you might might kill herself in body condition doing it. Um, so just kind of shooting for that that middle of the road or, or a little bit higher enough to keep your lambs surviving and growing, but not enough to where you kill your you. It's probably just that balancing game there too, I think right? So yeah. yeah. Okay, then post weaning weight would be another EBV, and that's normally taken at 120 days. Uh, so the um, and so from a practical standpoint here, I think people need to understand that at least I think a lot of the farm flocks uh, here in the Midwest, um, we're taking a 60 day wait. We're probably weaning at about 90 or so, and then we're taking a 120 day wait. So even though it's called weaning and post weaning, um, those are just artifacts of the system from Australia. Um, there's some things that we just can't change. And I say Australia because that's where the analysis is done uh, on some really large computers at the University of New England in um, Australia. But um, so anyway, I, I don't want people to get hung up on weaning, that you have to weigh at weaning. Uh, we're not saying you have to wean at 60 days. Uh, take a 60-day weight 
it's going to be called a weaning weight EBV. Take another weight at 120 days, it's going to be called a post-weaning weight EBV. Um, and just wean whenever you're comfortable, you know, somewhere probably in between there. We can generate a yearling weight, which of course would be 12 months, and a hogget weight, um, which is an 18-month weight. I, I personally believe that we need to be weighing lambs. Uh, we need to probably weigh every animal that's coming through the chute at breeding. Um, or the hogget weight, I have, I'd have to go back and double check on. There's, there's ranges where you can weigh, but I think we can catch a hogget weight um, if, we're, if we breed uh, the yearling. Um, so anyway, um, but so a hogget weight again. So these weights, again, you can use those if you want really tall, growthy animals, um, maximize that hogget weight. Um, if you're trying to limit, you know, your maintenance requirement and how much you're having to feed your, your ewe flock, um, then you definitely want to reduce that hogget. Uh, and yearling weight EBV. There are, I mean, there are, if you look at a range of animals, there are some animals that will have high weaning weights, but lower yearling weights. And those are, I mean, those are ones I'm looking for. I want an animal that has really fast early growth and then let the growth curve tail off. Uh, and they're out there. You just have to look for them. And, um, I think that's the value of these EBVs is you can mix and match um, the way you want them. Um, okay, for the people listening that have wool, uh, we have a fleece weight, uh, greasy fleece weight. Uh, we have a fiber diameter EBV. We have a staple length EBV. Um, uh, fiber diameter coefficient variation EBV and then a fiber curvature EBV. And I guess curvature um, tells you how comfortable. Anyway, I'm, I'm trying to learn about wool. <laughs> I appreciate really good <laughs> fine wool. And we've got some excellent breeders within NSIP, um, especially within the Rambouillet and the Merino breeds that raise yeah. some raised sheep with high, high quality wool. And um, I appreciate that. I'm trying to learn a, a little bit about wool, but um, it obviously isn't my uh, forte, but. I like the socks. The socks, yep. 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 And I, I, you know, they talk about microns and 24 microns is rough and 18 microns is what they make socks out of, I think, or something, I, whatever. but. Like I said, yeah, I, I, I toured the uh, the wool pool collection thing up at Ohio yeah. uh, a couple years ago, and and they're they're describing how much better this pile was than that pile, and I'm like, it's all the same, <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> you know. And yeah, you know, I don't know, um, I can't tell the difference, you know. I, I don't, I wish I could because I bought some wool sheep, and I thought, oh man, this is great, I'm gonna make a sweater. <laughs> and then I found out I had the wrong wool sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, there you go. So okay. So on body composition again, the, the, this is an optional measurement. Don't I don't want people to think that they have 
to do this. But we, we can ultrasound the sheep for back fat thickness and loin eye depth. And, um, you know, let's see all my emails coming in. But anyway, uh, but anyway, um, you do have to be a certified scanner to do that. Um, I hire um, a guy by the name of Dallas McDermott, but there's, there's several dozen scanners across the United States that are certified. Um, and the, the, re the certification is basically to prove that you can be consistent. You have, to, you have to scan the same group of sheep two days apart or something like that. And, um, you know, we've caught, we've caught people that have actually uh, were using the wrong equipment or they had it set wrong. And um, so certification is important, but by, and you know, you want, um, so here's, here's some theory for you, Caleb. Uh, personally, I believe the Katahdin breed is a maternal breed. And we need to always stress maternal traits. But if we're going to, if a commercial producer is going to take a, um, a Katahdin U flock and cross it with a terminal sire, um, if we can have a loin eye, you know, a loin eye correlates really to muscling in the entire body. So if we can have, if we can have very maternal ewes that have a little bit more muscling, and then crossing mm -hmm. with a terminal sire, we're going. I think we're going to make the commercial producers a lot happier. Um, basically, my goal is not so much to increase the size of the loin eye, although I am a little bit. Um, my goal is is not to shrink it. Uh, as we select, yep. it's a it's a natural fact in all species that the faster growing an animal is the less muscling it has at a given weight. So if we're selling lambs at 140 pounds to uh, a processor or into the restaurant market, um, the, basically the lambs that get to 140 pounds the fastest will have the least amount of muscle. And so again, you have to look for it, but I certainly have had lambs that when we scan them they're fast growing and they're high muscling now oftentimes they've had some other defect <laughs> you know <laughs> or or their maternal traits were awful you know I, you know or they were walking yeah. on flat pasterns or, or whatever um which you know again gets back to selection you just if all, if all I wanted to do was select for one trait, I could make tremendous progress. But when you start bundling traits together, if I say, okay, well, I'm looking for growth, muscling, and maternal traits, then my pool got really small. And then I start looking at visual traits, like, you know, their pastern angle, um, then it, or you know or their mouth you know that i mean because there are some things we don't measure in nsip we don't look at their pasterns you still have to visually evaluate that we don't look to see if we've got uh, a parrot jaw or a monkey jaw you know we're you have to visually evaluate if the teeth are meeting the pad and um 
So yeah, the more things you select for this, it it just it's a numbers game. Genetics, you know, Doctor Laymaster that used to work out at Clay Center, Nebraska, uh, at the USDA Meat Animal Research Center. He, he was fond of saying, you know, someone would ask him a question. He says, well, if you give me 10,000 animals, I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> and it, it was just his way of making the point that we're dealing with population genetics here. And um, uh, the right animal is out there if you can find it. But sometimes you may have to search through 10,000 animals to find it. Yeah. So we'll, I'm sure we'll get back yeah. to this more a little bit later. But you mentioned... Um, with the muscle that, you know, not necessarily trying to increase it a whole lot, maybe a, a yeah. little bit, but more so just trying to keep it, you know, a, a good size. What is kind of that, for those of us who are using EBVs, what's kind of that level that, that you have felt like is, is keeping it at that, that maintenance size? Do you just look at whatever the percentile report average I is? I do. And, you know, I honestly did not pull up. I should have pulled up a copy of the, maybe one of y'all can share pull it up and share it on your screen. The percentile report is really a powerful tool to use. Um, mm -hmm. You know, cause I'm throwing numbers out here and, and they probably don't make a whole lot of sense to some people. So what you have to do, you have to take that number and compare it to the percentile report. And I honestly think that zero for eye muscle depth is actually like the 60th percentile or something. I mean, it's, or no, it'd be the other way around. It's like the 40th percentile. And is that the it? 50th percent, the, the 50th percentile is probably less than zero, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Negative 0.13. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that again, this is zero. just in the category. Now you look at the Suffolk percentile report and it's going to be totally different. And, you know, Suffix, mm -hmm. they're probably trying to push this, you know, they're trying to push um, uh, post-winging weight and uh, eye muscle depth. That'd be, that be terminal? Yeah. Yep. Suffix. And so, you know, I don't, at one time I was really nervous about um, having negative eye muscle depth. And then we finally got a good percentile report because, anyway, I won't go into that. <laughs> Why? <Yeah. laughs> the percentile, the percentile report there. for a couple uh -oh. of traits have been a long time coming to get them to be accurate. Uh, but we've gotten reprogrammed now. We're, I, I'm really happy with them. And so now it's like, you know, having slightly negative eye muscle depth probably is okay in the Katahdin breed. We just don't want real negative. So uh, at the bottom of the percentile report, I just noticed it has the lamb yeah. counts on there. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, 84,389. Uh, you have to read the, the heading up there, Robert, at the top. And those are ram lambs for the last two years, I think, right? I, I That report. It, it says... Uh, 2019 2020 born lambs with genetic okay weakness. maybe it's i okay there was surely there's not eighty four thousand huh? lambs Eighty. see, see the you page two can you make that bigger um uh, hang on a minute no. is that bigger 
Yes, it is. <laughs> it is? A little bit. I can't see what y'all well, see. Let me... There. There. That helped. Okay, there. Yeah, total Katahdin records would be 84,000. There you go. Yep. Yeah, that's a lot of animals. Now, <laughs> that's a lot, of, a lot of data. Now, go back. Yeah, but, okay. See, at the bottom, I thought you were looking here at the bottom. Number of lambs, those are actually ram lambs for two years. Okay, oh, so okay. that so that number at the bottom, for yep. example, let me scroll up. So, under eye muscle death, that means 1,861 lambs turned no, in data. It, it's not uh, quite... Um, it's not quite that simple. Um, we, in two years. Okay. Again, I'm trying to stay at 30,000 feet here, but any data, any raw data, the, the weights, I mean, any data that you submit to Sheep Genetics is your data and it's private. I cannot see it. Even as chairman of NSIP, I cannot see anything that you submit. I'm not too sure Rusty can even see anything that you submit. Um, the only people that are allowed to work on that is basically Dr. Ron Lewis, who's the NSIP technical advisor, and the scientist at Sheep Genetics um, in Australia. So this percentile report is actually based upon EBVs that we receive back. And so, and this is what took so long to get some of these traits straightened out um, and, and accurate. They, they're sorting based upon the accuracy of the trait in a flock. So, the, the intent is to have the filter so that only, like, let's say for um, eye muscle depth. Basically, it's going to be Joan Burke, um, Tom Hodgman, myself. Um, there's a couple, I guess, um, Dan Turner, and then, um, and I always, anyway, um, Mr. Richards up in uh, New York. I think they're scanning now. Um, there may be another, oh, Lee Wright, uh, the Virginia Tech flock, and I, Lee may be scanning his own personal flock. So there, there's a few people of us scanning, and so the intent is, is to basically, that 1,800 there on that sheet, Robert, is probably the total number of lambs out of those flocks. So like this last... Oh, two, in two years, so that'd be 900 lambs. Yeah. yeah. So like this last year, like I said um, at the very beginning, I sold a lot of light lambs this year. Those light lambs were never scanned. But probably the total number of lambs that count would include those light lambs that I sold. So we because, because of confidentiality. Genetic, because they had genetic linkages. But it was, yes, they were genetically linked. Okay. My flock is genetically linked to most of those other flocks so um well they're and they're linked to the lambs that you submitted the previous year yes yeah so i that was kind of a again a little bit technical but i just want to assure everyone that 
sometimes we have to make a compromise. And here we have a compromise between our counts, but we did not violate anyone's privacy with the data they turned in. But basically, everyone's turning in the lambing data, and most, every, you know, I mean, you're you're getting weight data, weaning weight data from every flock, and so that's why those numbers, you know, really are not. all the same. Yeah, eighty-two sixty yeah. for all those traits, yeah. Um, yeah. but then it drops down to eighteen hundred and sixty for um, fecal egg counts. Well, no, fecal egg counts are at five fifty-five hundred. Um, which that's a lot of fecal egg counts. Well, again, it's, oh, yeah. there's probably not that many fecal egg counts actually collected, but there's that many lambs in the flocks that are collecting. Right. And then you have that one column for um, uh, PSC, which I haven't explained yet, but that's post uh, scrotum post weaning scrotum circumference. Um, I don't know who else is doing that besides me, but. I, I, I do it and I know Michelle does it. Okay. So there may only be three or four flocks there that are doing it. So, um, so that's why that number is really small. But, so that's how we filtered. I bought a tape probably four or five years ago and I've not used it but about three times. So I plan on doing it too. <laughs> well, I didn't, we know, can, you know, I didn't know that that was, you know, um, basically, I mean, it wasn't showing up on any of the reports or on the NSIP search thing. So I didn't know that it was irrelevant as far as NSIP goes, but uh, I, I do cool. believe in, in the scroll circumference. Well, that And again, tr dropping down from that 15,000 foot level a little bit, um, that is correlated to some extent with number of lambs born and, and milk a little bit, correct? And, um, yeah, it and mainly maturity, but yes, it's also a fertility issue. And so, the larger the scrotum circumference at a given age, um, I think there may be a weight adjustment as well. Um, you would expect yeah. um, the lambs to reach puberty earlier. Uh, you would expect the females to be um, that are kinned. I mean, you know, because even though we're only measuring the trait on the males, we can generate that EBV for any related females. And um, so we, um, um, so yeah, you would expect an earlier maturing animal uh, that would probably be um, more fertile, definitely more fertile at an earlier age. Um, I will caution though that um, that has nothing to do with breeding out of season. So I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I said about more fertility. Um, breeding out of season is a totally different trait. Yeah. And it's one that we don't measure. For sure. And um, we can talk about some of these traits we don't measure later, but uh, they're very expensive to calculate. Um, to one of the things that we probably haven't said is that all of these EBVs are based upon tons of research and science going back decades. Um, we just don't take the raw data and throw it in the machine 
and it kicks out something without some a lot of work in the past. Um, lot like we talked about the weight traits. There's there's coefficients between all of the weight traits. Um, so yeah, there's the amount of science that has gone into creating a new trait is tremendous. You look at the cattle industry, you know, they keep coming up with new traits, but the Angus are adding, what, 350,000 calves per year to their database, and they're mm -hmm. charging, I knew at one time, um, that's a lot. <laughs> it's, you know, to get the registration certificate and well, basically, I think most of the cattle breeds um, have gone to a per cow basis. And it's like 50 or $60 per cow, whether you register the animal or not, but you're still expected to submit the data. And, you know, with NSIP, our data processing fee is $3.25, and people complain about it. <laughs> Which, it adds up. I get it. You know, but, you know, you can... You can sell a bull for 10,000. You know, there's a lot of really good bulls that sold for five this fall and a lot of good rams that sold for 500. So, I mean, um, there, yeah, it's, it's a little relative, but uh, they just, the cattle industry has a lot more money to come up with these new traits than the fishing industry does, but we're, we're doing the best we can. Okay, guys, I hope you hope you enjoyed uh, episode four with Lynn. Um, if, if, if you didn't learn something there, you must have had your phone turned off because uh, there's a lot going on and uh, it'll only get better. So uh, sit back and wait for our next episode as we dig more into the uh, EBVs, what they stand for, what they mean, and, and how you can benefit uh, by adding them into your flock. So stay tuned and listen for more episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.